This is the point of the program where we traditionally mess everything up. And I just want to say that I believe in both of you, and I believe in us. And um, uh, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We're not live on the Dog Sports Twitter. No, we we absolutely are. We're online. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, well, we might need to... It's on the Periscope, and people are watching it. <laughs> so, as is traditional, Wheat. we bring you the battle hymnal where... Nope, it's up there. We bring you the battle hymnal where everything's messed up and the rules don't matter. Uh, the battle hymnal is a video streaming product associated with Travel Bell Curve, everyone's favorite UGA podcast about advanced analytics and tomfoolery. And we are here today, and I am here today, Nathan Lawrence, uh, co-host and proprietor of the Chapel Bell Curve podcast. And I'm joined by my two other co-hosts of the Battle Hymnal, Josh Hancher uh, at Dog Stats Extraordinaire and our stat guru and our producer and, you know, professional video guy. Say hello, Josh. What's up, guys? And Graham Coffee. the reason that we're coming, you, uh, coming to you here today live in beautiful 1080p on the Dog Sports Twitter account and also esteemed Dog Sports writer. Say hello, Graham. Hello. So the essential premise of what we're going to do here today is we're just going to talk about the second half of UGA uh, 2020 season. And I think the best way to do that is to sort of like figure out where we've been, like, you know, what's happened in the first half of the season. Why has it happened? What kind of crossroads are we at? And then where do we go from here? So um, I think a good place to start, Graham wrote a very good article. I think it was last Friday, right, Graham? Yep. Uh, on dog sports that you should check out about sort of where UGA is after the Alabama game. Um, and Graham, why don't you sort of st st start our discussion out here by talking about where we are now and how we got to where we are, sort of the crossroads that we're at. Yeah, so after the you know the Alabama game last week, there seems to be a lot of people that are angry with the fact that Georgia's in a position where they have to start Stetson Bennett as their quarterback. Um, Jamie Newman and JT Daniels were brought to Athens to play football. I would assume. And Newman left and Daniels is either not healthy or hasn't shown enough to supplant Stetson Bennett. Um, so you can call that bad planning on Kirby Smart's part. I would say I think it's bad luck. Um, like much in 2020, circumstances have dictated that what Georgia has is different than what we thought Georgia was going to have. But basically where we are now after this Alabama game is that Kirby Smart and his program are, are at a crossroads for this season. There is a very good chance that Stetson Bennett can do enough to get Georgia through the rest of the schedule uh, without a loss. And if he does, then you'll see Alabama again in Atlanta. But Georgia probably can't beat Alabama or beat the teams they would see in the playoffs if they were to beat Alabama unless they're getting more production from the quarterback position. At least – they can't do that if they're going to try and implement the same game game plan that they did last Saturday when they played Alabama. So we're kind of in this place where uh, we have Todd Mockin and um, he's scheming up some really good plays. We're seeing a lot of open wide receivers, but at least right now in the current form, we're not getting the ball to them in space like we should be. And so if we're going to run a game plan that's, based around the premise of, of passing 40 times in a game, then we either need to get better with execution, have a different quarterback under center, or change the game plan, right? Because 
we probably can't win a shootout against Alabama with Stetson Bennett under center. Uh, as, as much as I hate to say that. Well, I got yeah, some plays. I, I got some plays queued up here. There's some of the things we did good, and and so everybody wants to jump in and just talk about these because we did move the ball. We did have success. We ran for five point seven yards per play up until the third quarter when we just got pass happy and you know it's obviously noted that we this is not an offense that's built to win games throwing the ball 40 times a game well mm-hmm. and i and, and you know the clips that we selected here are some of the successful runs that uga had against alabama and uh earlier while graham was talking which i thought was a very good point graham we were t- um uh or josh had up this quote that he mike griffith of the abjc who let us put that quote up there um he he got from kirby smart about how you know, you don't want to get into a boat race with Alabama. And there's been much ado about that. And I, you know, I think part of it goes to what Graham was talking about, that you either have to execute better if you have to, you have to change the game plan. Um, I think part of it is act- also, if you look at the flow of the Alabama game, UGA got into a situation where they had to score on every possession. Whatever your game plan is, if you play Alabama, you're probably going to hit that time, the time, a time in the game when you have to score every time you touch the ball, right? And if your game plan is you're running the triple option, that's going to be true. And if your game plan is that you're running the sort of like Mike Leach air raid, that's going to be true, right? And so I guess what it really boils down to is given the situation, where does UGA go forward, right? And I, and I, we had a, we had a pretty lively discussion on our production meeting earlier about, you know, what does that mean and where, where, where we are and where we've been. Um, and I'm just, I'm interested to hear from you guys. Let's assume that, you know, JT Daniels eventually does get healthy and mm-hmm. plays them. Independent of that, what should UGA's offense look like at, in its most successful form this year? Well, I mean, I think if, if Daniels is healthy, then I think you can run the game plan that you ran last Saturday night. Um, I mean, we, you know, we did our film breakdown last Sunday looking at, at the Alabama game. And like, there was a lot of plays all over the field that Bennett either didn't see or, you know, just chose not to throw the ball to. Um, I mean, I think if you're going to have Stetson Bennett at the helm though, the the recipe for this Georgia team has got to be to run first and use play action passes. Um, I mean, I really think that, that Georgia where they lost that game was on first down against Alabama, right? Like Georgia faced 25 first downs on Saturday, last Saturday against Alabama. They ran on 11 of those downs and passed on 14 of those downs. When running on first down, Georgia averaged 5.6 yards a play. When passing on first down, they averaged 5.1 yards, but one of those, one of those first downs was a 36-yard pass play. So if you take that out, Georgia only averaged 2.7 yards on first down. I think we all saw a lot of guys open underneath. It felt like James Cook was open on a check down almost every play in the game. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. Like there was tons of guys leaking out, Washington, McKitty, um, even Karis Jackson at times. And I, I felt like by not throwing those checkdowns on early downs, the Georgia basically got into a situation where they were behind the chains a lot and they had to continue not throwing those open checkdowns on later downs because they needed, you know, to get past the sticks on, on third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. And that's where we were a lot. And so I, I think Georgia has to find a way to be in second and sixes and third and threes instead of second and tens and third and sevens. Yeah, we're near the bottom of the conference and third down to gain. Um, but we're 
not the best in the conference. We've had a good uh, third down com- uh, uh, complete, um, what do you call it, conversion rate, but we're still, you know, the top four in those c- categories. We're not running the ball like we have been in the past. I don't think they're, I mean, and I still think this offense is growing. Like you talked about, there just needs to be better execution of the offense because I, for one, really in, excited about what we are seeing because our yards per per target are very low because of a very low success rate, but our yards per reception is third in the conference. Um, you mentioned those guys again, we'll bring it up. Those guys are open. So Munkin is getting the plays and the players and, and their playmakers in space. So for us to get better, I don't feel like necessarily as Kirby, I don't know. I mean, Kirby is saying we got to do things to help Stetson. We've got to, doesn't want to get into a boat race, which I'm in reading as we don't want to necessarily try to outscore anybody. But my point is those offensive plays that, that we have are more explosive and better design plays than we had last year. So I don't necessarily want to throw those out. I want the guy, whether it be Stetson Bennett or uh, Stetson Bennett with better coaching and better decision and better practice or somebody else that can go and increase that 39% success rate on passing plays. Because as much as I would love to run the ball, you know, 90% of the time for five yards of carry, that's just not going to happen. We've got to score points. Our, our defense is great. We're the number one in, you know, by a lot of metrics, number one in the country, certainly the tops in the conference. But, you know, at some point you've got to get to 30 points. And I keep, you know, I talked about it, you know, we're sitting around at 5.4, 5.5 yards per play on offense. We need to get to at least 6.5 yards per play to be able to move the ball successfully to get in those in those downs and distances that you just spoke about. Yeah, and I, and I think too, you know, it's, it's worth noting that UGA, I, I think sort of my, if I have a, a, a quibble with uh, Kirby at this point, I'm not one of those people who were ridiculously saying that Kirby should be fired after last weekend, which was just God almighty. I know that every fan base has that, but UGA fans can be a, a trip sometimes. But I, I do think if I have one quibble with Kirby, it's that like at this point in the evolution of football, good offense beats good defense. And that has nothing to do with good defense. It just has to do with the pendulum swing of the way offenses evolve. It has to do with the rules in terms of, uh, you know, pass interference and hand fighting and what you can do on the defensive line and what you can do with pre-stamp motion. There's a lot of things going against defenses right now. And, and the idea that we have to get to 35, I think, is predicated on your best, the best defense that Kirby Smart has ever had is going to give up two or three long plays to Alabama's receiving core. And that's what it is. And and there's not really a way to change that outside of, I mean, you know, 57% success rate on the year for Bama is a number that you would not have seen, referring to our graphic we have up here now, is a number that you would not have seen 10 years ago, even from some of the best offenses in the league. And I, I don't, I think Kirby kind of gets that, but I don't think that he totally gets that the way you protect your defense is by scoring points. If you score third, like, if UGA converts, a, like, you know, it was what, 24, 21 at half? Right. If it's 28, 24 at half, or if it's 28, 21 at half, it might be a much different game. If it's 31, if you, you know, I mean, this game flipped pretty quickly on a couple of possessions. As soon as UGA stopped scoring and Alabama put them in a position where they had to go back and forth, UGA could not keep up. And I think ultimately the heuristic is you have to keep up. And it doesn't matter how you get there. It doesn't matter if you get there with Stetson Bennett. It doesn't matter if you get there with, 
with James Cook taking triple option snaps. It doesn't matter, right? Like you, you are probably with the Alabama game plan. And this is something Graham said in our production meeting with the Alabama game plan. We're probably going to win the, we could probably beat the remaining teams on our schedule in the regular season. You can probably beat Florida. If you if you play good defense and you limit Kyle Pitts, you can probably beat. And that's the only probably questionable one. If you're playing at that level. But I don't know if that Alabama game plan, like you said, Graham, is ever going to be successful against this Bama team with or without Jalen Waddell. Right. And I, I think the one like qualm I have a little bit with some of the discussions that that we've had internally and some of the discussions I'm seeing online about because it's like, how do we get to that point? Right. Alabama's going to let's say Alabama's going to score 40 points. So how do you create a scenario where Georgia's going to score more and Maybe Alabama will score 30 or 35 or maybe, you know, 28 if you're really, really lucky and just have a great day on defense. And, like, I go back to the Ole Miss-Alabama game. Ole Miss ran the ball, I believe, 60 – 58% of downs against Alabama. Ole Miss ran the ball. We ran the ball on 35% of downs against Alabama. And so I think that, like, there's this misnomer there that, like, by – by not run like by by abandoning the run that in some way like you're chasing points in a more vigorous manner and and it looks like that right because like it's more exciting and you see more explosive plays and obviously the chances of someone scoring a touchdown on a long pass are greater than you know on a run but I think if you go back and look at like Georgia's game against Oklahoma in the the 17 Rose Bowl right like I think that's the type of game plan you run against a really good explosive offense with great quarterbacks and great wide receivers. And I think that's a little bit closer to like a 50, 50 split or maybe even 55, 45 in favor of run versus pass. And I thought on Saturday, like the, the weakness of Alabama's defense, just watching that game from my couch here in Colorado is that like their linebackers aren't very good. And I felt like Georgia, you know, even when the game was still in a four point kind of realm or even when Alabama was up 11 points, go on a five minute drive, try and shorten the game and try to get yourself in a place where you're giving that offense less possessions and you're not seeing them on the field every like three minutes to five minutes of, of real life time. Because I think when when they get in that flow, nobody's probably going to beat them. And, and I would say too, like the if you think about the Ole Miss Alabama game, what characterized when when Ole Miss did pass was that they scored, right? right. It, when 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 Ole Miss threw deep, they hit those shots in stride and they went. And I think I think Stetson Bennett does not have a weak arm. I think that the, you know to say that he doesn't is or that he does is like a noodle arm is is totally inaccurate based on his results this year. But I don't know that he has the downfield accuracy to get ahead of guys. He has not shown that. We've seen a lot of coming back to the ball. And so I think you just have to make your shots count one way or the other. And I think there's a way to do that with Stetson Bennett at the helm. But like I think you know, the big thing, if you look at the, the battles that Alabama won in the Alabama-Georgia game, the battle they really won was converting drives, right? As soon as Georgia started settling for field goals or had to punt, the game was functionally over, right? And so I think... 
you it's not just about explosiveness it's about points explosiveness right that that's why the the original measure of explosiveness that that uh, uh bill Connolly used was points per play right because what really matters is if you're th- if you have a 70 yard pass and then your drive stall your drive uh stalls out in you know within the 20 and then you miss a field goal that that 70 yard pass didn't matter and that's uh, obviously a pretty like extreme scenario but i think uj is finding himself in a lot of times where it's like very quick down to about the third the opponent's 35 and then for whatever reason i don't know that uj has totally overcome its sort of jim cheney style malaise inside of the red zone right and i i i think that is as we've referred to before that you know uga is not as good at run blocking play in and play out as they probably should be right now and i don't know why that is it might be a personnel thing it might be a schematic thing i'm not a you know i'm not a an offensive line guru, but at this point, like, I think statistically we can say that that's true. Josh, were you going to say something? I'm sorry. No, I mean, I guess playing the part of the, the traumatized Georgia fan that here we were feeling we, he left Knoxville with a big win last year. Um, and then we came home against South Carolina and lost. And then there was a sharp cliff. In fact, I'm going to put up a graphic, um, right here. You guys won't be able to see it, but I'll talk, talk you through it as well. Um, uh, you know, we were offensive success rate before the South Carolina game was 58%. And afterwards it fell to 39%. Uh, offensive rush success rate went from 55 to 38. Offensive pass success rate went from 57 to 36. And every metric except for the pass explosiveness went down. And that's just because pass explosiveness only counts as successful plays. So obviously if your percentage goes down, then the, you have a, the, it's a smaller number. So it's more likely to go up, but those, the, they were successful, um, it, with some pass explosiveness, you can think of the play action pass in the Auburn game. You can think of the, the Cager touchdown and the, the Gator Bowl, but um, we, that's where we are now. We and we we're hearing for me, I'm hearing Kirby talk about things to help Bennett and 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 getting back to Georgia football and not being in a boat race because I think what I fear is that they're going to abandon some of these play concepts that have been working and that have got guys open and and protecting Stetson. Um, we're going to not continue to, to try to be explosive on offense. I'm not saying we need to flip to an air raid offense and throw it 70% of the time, but I do think we still have to run an, an offense that, you know, gets playmakers in space and moves the ball downfield and becomes not and, and avoids being predictable on just runs. If they're going to stack the box and, you know, I think StatCat did a, um, a data dump on Friday on Thursday, he did a defense data dump on Friday that obviously Georgia was on all, top of all the metrics. On But, you know, the one that scared me was he was the least, uh, the highest uncatchable ball rate at 20% of his balls were uncatchable and at 13% of his balls were uh, interceptable. So, I'm, you know, if Kirby has similar stats and metrics or an analysis of that, I can see why he would want to be go back to something he's comfortable with. But as you guys talk about and break down on this, on this show every week, the monk and monk is getting plays and getting playmakers open. We just have to find either how to get Stetson to complete and make those plays, or in my opinion, get somebody that will, because I would like a higher ceiling out of our quarterback. I'm looking well, I, at, a higher, at a higher ceiling is what it's going to take to, to, to get us into the college football playoff. And I think the difference between this year and night last year, and I think that, yeah, the stats are eerily similar, the stat profile that you had up, very similar. But I, I think the difference is it was very clear after the USC game that anyone with a modicum of defensive talent could solve Georgia's offense. 
not solve its personnel, but could solve Georgia's offense schematically. There was a combination of inside pinching and stunting, uh, leverage defenders, overhang ledge defenders, and like, you know, uh, basically like nickel linebackers that could just stop Georgia's run game because we weren't doing anything in, anything in mid-div. And so if I have any faith, even as a deeply traumatized Georgia fan, it is that I don't, I, I think to this point in the season, the problem with football, and I, I hate to get this like abstract at this point, but the problem with football is that you can have the best team in the world at 21 positions. And if you, if your quarterback's limited, your team's limited. Right. And I don't know that that's Kirby smarts fault at this point. Right. And I, everything I've read, I read something from, I think uh, over on 24 seven about just the fact that like, they had no impression that Georgia was committed to Stetson Bennett and that they didn't have loyalty to him and that he wasn't in their plans four weeks ago. Right. And to me, that tells me that like we're in necessity mode. And I think the reason we're in necessity mode is Kirby smarts fault because frankly, Justin Fields should probably still be our quarterback. I don't want to relitigate that. And I think it's silly to, at this point. Right. But I don't know that inside of the circumstances coming into 2020 that Kirby Smart had, it's it's hard for me to critique him decision-making wise, right, to this point in the, in the game. Because, yeah, I mean, UGA had a huge deficiency at quarterback and then brought in the absolute best transfer quarterback class that anyone has ever done in the transfer portal era. Yeah. Right. And so that's a pretty, that's a pretty good solve to that wound. The problem is that didn't turn out. And, you know, and again, it's, it's like, I, I totally, I totally feel the frustration. I, I am frustrated too. I think you're absolutely right. We need better, we need better play. And I think it's, it's obvious based on just Stetson looked a little lost at times in the second half. Right. And that's just what it is. And, and I love the guy and I think he's a great story and I got nothing against him. And I went to, and, I, and if we could win the national championship with him, I would be the first one like getting a Stetson Bennett tattoo hundred percent. Like that's fine. But I also think that, is that a promise? No, it's not. <laughs> I will say if we win the national championship in this, in, I, I'm going to say this in front of way too many people, but if we win the national championship in my lifetime, I'm getting the red coat drum dog tattooed in a visible place. And if I'm 50 or 60 and it's really inappropriate for me to do so, I'm still doing it. Um, and at that point I won't really care and hopefully I'll have more money. So I'll definitely be all tatted up even more than I am now. Anyway. But, um, <laughs> all right. But, uh, okay. I got a lot of thoughts about what you said. First yeah, of and all, I, Hold on. But the the last thing I want to say is it's, I think you have to, and this is not a you as in the people on this call. I think the response to Kirby's comments as a Georgia fan, you have to take that inside of the context of where we are pragmatically, right? Kirby smart knows good and well how we screwed up that led to this moment. And maybe he screwed up and maybe it was happenstance or whatever, but the moment that he's in is the moment he's in. Right. And that, that was my biggest point. Go ahead, Greg. No, I think that's that's really well said, and I agree with that very wholeheartedly. I also think when you talk about <clears throat> protecting Stetson Bennett, right, like, you know, I don't want to see us flip and be a 70% run team, but having a 50-50 balance would probably be fine. Alabama passes versus th- uh, runs about 50-50. You know, like, we're not going to have the explosion on the pass game as they do because we don't have a – the receiving core or the quarterback that they do. But I think there's ways to protect your quarterback without sitting on the football. Um, I also think that like early in Georgia's season last year, before the South Carolina game, uh, I, 
I don't think the play calling was dramatically different versus like what we saw at the end of the season where it was just like man ball and we all wanted to kill James Coley. I just think that a, as you said, Nathan, the book got out on Georgia's defense or I'm sorry, on, on how to stop Georgia's offense when South Carolina's defense did it. But B, like we relied last year at all times, even during the Notre Dame game, even during Arkansas State, on players just like winning matchups, right? And just like go win, go be better. And there wasn't a ton of clever schematics that happened to get guys open. And, you know, with the mocking offense, like, even a conservative form of that, I still think you see clever schematics that get guys open. I still think that your run blocking is, you know, some of these split zone concepts and some of these things that we're running right now that are a lot more creative than what we saw in 2019. So like, I don't, I don't have the same kind of fear that, that Josh has, but I also think that, protecting Stetson Bennett, you can protect your quarterback and still call a pass. And like my biggest gripe with last Saturday night was, you know, not even necessarily that we threw the ball 65% of the time, but the amount of throws that went to the boundary is not what Stetson Bennett does. Well, Um, it's, it's not like we've, we've seen it. We've talked about it on this show. We've looked at all the, the passing charts from PFF, like we said, going into the Alabama game, like for Georgia to have success, they are going to have to hit shots in the middle of the field, which is what Ole Miss did on Alabama. And it's what Georgia did against Auburn and Tennessee and Arkansas once Bennett came in the game. And a lot of those pass plays, you know, it's like we were throwing up kind of Hail Mary prayer shots, 30 yards down the sidelines to guys that were covered. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the the bigger picture is like, I'm hopeful that when he says let's protect Stetson Bennett, it means let's ask Stetson Bennett to do the things that he knows how to do well and that he's comfortable doing and not put him in a game plan where, you know, he's having to make throws that he's not as comfortable making. Yeah. yeah and and I, I also just think like it is, it is hard to express how low the bar is for an improvement schematically over last year. And I, and I, and I look this, we, this is the dump on James Coley show. And, and I don't, and, but really the statement I'm about to, <laughs> the statement I'm about to make is not a dump on James Coley. It's just like, I'm at 1301 followers. I can, I can spare the one if he follows yeah. me. <laughs> split zone is not a radical concept. Like, like <laughs> it's been in football since the eighties, like, and we have been running it to great success and it's like, I'm trying not to get too overwrought about this, but like, it's like, yeah, I, I absolutely agree, Graham. And and it's, if you looked at what Bama is doing, like to me, you know, Graham wrote this very good article about like UGA built themselves into Bama 2015. Is that enough to beat Bama? But I think the answer to that question is you don't have to make many tweaks to get to Bama 2020. Steve Sarkeesian is a good offensive coordinator, but like he is not the dude at Princeton who's running like, you know, five, he's running like, you know, four wide triple option out of the shotgun or whatever. He's not like, he's a pretty, not re- yeah, he's not guy. reinventing the, he's not reinventing yeah, the I mean, wheel. He's running, he's running Excellent. a lot of like 
pretty classic pass concepts. He's running sail. He's running like deep post out of the slot. He's running mesh, right? It's just that they have better guys, right? And I think this is an acknowledgement on Bama's part that like when you have better guys, that actually means that you can take more risks, not fewer. Well, I was going to say, you talk about the bar being low. I mean, we've got a pretty low bar in terms of our passing game at 39% success rate. So we only got to get a little better. We only, I mean, right. a little better on offense is going to go a long way with that defense. And I just don't want necessarily – I don't particularly want to see, you know, us reverting to a super conservative offense where we're not using our playmakers in space and we're not challenging – over the middle, like you said. So, that I mean, I think we're all in agreement that we want to see Georgia excel at the highest level. And and we have – we and I hope we, hope we got some new viewers tonight, but we're breaking down tape. We're talking about this stuff. We are, we're total homers. We love the dogs. So – and we're going through these plays a lot. We don't do it through a lot of plays tonight because it was a bye week, but um, it was – it's awesome. I learned something every time, and I just want to see – because you guys did such good work in the preseason and have – everything you've said about Munkin has, has come to, to come to bear. And it's just – I just don't want to see us go back to last year's I'm, – I'm, I'm totally traumatized. I'm going to go and get in the corner and cry right now. Yeah, I, well, I, I will say – I'm never going to stop taking victory laps about how, like how much Graham and I nailed the monkey. Thing. <laughs> and like, I, I feel like I just want to point out, I, I have not, basically the only two things I've gotten right in, in my life is uh, what Todd Munkin was going to do on offense at UGA and marrying my wife. And that's it. So like, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm still very happy about that, but I do think that, you know, like you said, there's not a lot of difference between what we saw against Bama and beating Bama. There really isn't. There was not a moment outside of you know the end of the game where we gave a couple of big plays there was not a moment where you were like okay this team top to bottom cannot run with bama it was pretty clear that we could right, right? and so you know if arian smith gets ha- you know graham was t- was talking about how it looks like arian smith is coming back that's a dude who's uh, he's a Michael hardman right i think he's out of elka um you know, out yeah. of eagle landing in in um norcross yeah, he's out of florida oh he's out of florida i can't remember the which one was that we had an elka guy too you know, if you put Jermaine Burton in his natural spot, which is probably not the Y, it's probably the X, right? He's the, the guy on the outside. And you get Arian Smith in there and you get 75% JT Daniels of what he was before he blew out his knee at USC. This is a team that can probably really run with Alabama. And I mean, even if you just get a slightly better Stetson Bennett, I think this is a team that can kind of run with Alabama. But I I, I think, you know, if we want to briefly talk about just like where we're going from here, and I know we don't, we don't want to go too long because we could go forever on this. If I'm thinking about where we go for the rest of the season, I really don't think, like Josh said, I think that that was a really good way to say it. I don't think it needs to get much better, right? There's not, this is not totally revamping the offense. This is not new schematics. This is just a little bit better execution. And if that execution is practiced, so be it. And the same guys, that's fine. If that execution is bringing in some new guys, that's fine too. But like, I have a feeling we are going to see JT Daniels as soon as he is possibly healthy. And I don't know. Why that might not be here? Yeah, and 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 yeah, you're right. It might not be, but I, I, I just think that we could see JT Daniels in the Kentucky game. Like I really, I really do. Not maybe not snarting, but I really do think. Like, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna throw 15 passes in the Kentucky game, but we'll yeah. we'll do that. We'll do that on our on our preview show. Well, I mean, and but what I was gonna say is like, you know, I think the first time you see JT Daniels start take a live snap. That is the beginning of the JT Daniels era because I feel like he is going to be hard 
to keep off the field once you put him in the field. Once you put him in, he's going to be hard to take off the field, right? And 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 I think really it's just the question is just when is is that next August or is that against Kentucky? Well, you know, I mean, you want to know what's really disgusting about the whole possibility of JT Daniels is that like he's been running these offensive concepts since he was in eighth grade, and then he ran them, you know, with Graham Harrell for a spring practice and a fall practice and a half of football at USC last year. But, you know, and and one thing that we were talking about in our production meeting that I do want to put out there is like, I think there's a lot of people that jumped on Stetson Bennett about particular plays in the Alabama game, like the, the throw to Darnell Washington in the back of the end zone at the end of the half. And like, how, how do you miss that throw? He's wide open. And I still think that like a lot of our, Hey, a lot of the guys that we're playing at receiver and tight end positions are are really, really green. Like they're young dudes. Some of them are true freshmen. A lot of them are true freshmen. And they still are not reading coverages the proper way and sitting down when they're supposed to and going when they're supposed to. And that stuff's gonna take a little bit of time. But like if that clicks here in the the second half of the season or the last third of the season leading up to a potential rematch with Alabama, then you're looking at a whole different kind of beast, honestly, whether that's Stetson Benedict quarterback or JT Daniels. So it's like, there is some hope there, but I mean, I think in general, and I hate to say this because like, I I wish the, the guy was still playing football, but like if, if the goal is to go win a national title, right. Which it is like, that's where we are in the Kirby smart era. And to do that, you have to beat Alabama to, to get your ticket to the the 14 dance, then the fact that Jalen Waddle is is no longer playing football this season, which sucks horribly, and I really wish he was because he's a joy to watch play football, yeah. but like changes the dynamic a lot of a, a an Alabama Georgia rematch because like what you saw on Saturday last Saturday was you know Alabama there was three or four plays out there where. They had a guy that ran a 4-3, and we had a guy that ran a 4-4, or they had a guy that took a slightly better angle than ours. And against teams that are that good and players that are that, are that good, that's all it takes to have a 90-yard touchdown pass. And, but, the, and Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, this is not to make excuses for UGA, but, I mean, if you play DJ Daniel in that game, the Maybe. game is probably a touch different. I mean, you're giving up one way or the other, you're giving up yards and points to that passing attack because that's just going to happen. But yeah. it's it's all a question of degree, right? And if you get, let's say generously, average quality of officiating, I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, you. I don't, I'm not, I don't, again, the point is not to relitigate or to have sour grapes. It is very clear that on that night, Alabama was the better team and right. they probably win by what? Nine points, regardless of how it's officiated. And that's fine. But I do think that in a game that was close for a while, if you get one or two breaks, which you are not getting in Tuscaloosa, and I will tell you that much, if you get one or two breaks, you can, it's competitive, right? And so I don't think people should despair, right? And we talk on Chapel Bell Curve a lot, and I get, we can kind of end with this unless you guys have something else. But my, my big message to Dog Nation right is right now is we talk on Chapel Bell Curve that like, a lot about like results versus inputs, like results versus process. The problem is right in the, the culture of college football is such that like, you don't get credit for anything, but a national championship. And that's unfortunate, 
and yeah. it sucks for a lot of reasons because people can disingenuously just yell 1980 at you. Um, but I would say that a, you should ignore those people because they're stupid. Right. And B there is nothing about the last two years of UJ football as frustrating and as teeth grinding and as horrible as they have been that should tell you that UGA is headed for a slump or that UGA is headed in the wrong direction. There's nothing that's happened recruiting wise or facilities wise or coaching wise that makes me feel like that we are going downhill. Right. And if anything, coaching wise, I feel like we're going uphill. And so people can scream 1980 at you as much as they want. But unless those people are fans of Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, the truth of the matter is you're probably beating their team by 15 points with Stetson Bennett. That's just what it is. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, the nature of college football right now is that the games that matter are the ones against Clemson and Ohio State and, and you know, Alabama. But, like, let's not act like UGA isn't solidly the fourth or fifth best team in the nation right now. Because they are. And, yeah, yeah that, I mean, that, that's my message. Like, everybody chill. Let's see no, what yeah. And I do want to add into that. Like, I think, yeah, like we're all here because we want to watch Georgia win the national title. But like, I remember being a, a kid and losing, you know, 12, 13 years in a row to Tennessee. You know, it's like I remember going to Jacksonville and getting our asses handed to us every year when Spurrier was there. And then, and then we got our asses handed to us by Ron Zook. You know, so it's like, Keep, keep things in perspective and enjoy, you know, enjoy the fact that like, even though we look like absolute dog shit for a half, we still beat Arkansas by 27 points. And it turns out they might be like the second saltiest D in the conference, you know? And yeah, they're really good. And we got to go play Florida in a couple weeks and who knows what will happen in that game. But I like Georgia's odds and yeah. that will never get old. So Keep in mind, like, the goal for right now, I hate to take this Mark Rick-style slant on it, but, like, the goal is to win the division, right? And you go win your division, and then you get a chance to, to win something bigger. But let's not put the cart before the horse here. Like, there's still a lot of football left to be played. And in a year with no spring practice, and the guy that was taking all the number one reps at quarterback leaving three weeks before the season starts, there's still a lot of improvement that can happen, especially with this offensive unit. So I'm optimistic. Yes. And I will, the last thing I'll say is my last game as a red coat, my farewell to UGA as a student was a six to 10 loss to UCF in the 2010. Uh, yeah. I say, Music uh, City Bowl. No, it was Liberty. It was Liberty. It was in Memphis. Yeah. And I just, as a perspective, what is the chance that UGA loses that game in 2020? What is the chance they lose that game in 2020 with James Cole? If, if we're if we're in the Liberty Bowl, anything's possible. That's true. That's true. But what I'm saying is like you'll yeah, know. Yeah, we're, 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 we're better. Yes, we're better. We're in a much better place. And, and, and we're talking about and the fact that we're and the fact that our expectations are what they are tells you. Where, yeah, where exactly. We're, so. we're not having a discussion about can we take down Terry Wilson in Kentucky. <laughs> Because we're probably going to win that game, and that's just what it is. All right. Graham, Josh, do you have any last points before we get out of here? I'm good. Thank you, guys. Uh, I'll just say that historically speaking over the era of college football where there has been championship games, that when teams face twice in a season, the the edge is usually to the team that lost the regular season matchup. Yeah. Just throwing that um, out there. <laughs> so that leaving us with that upbeat note is Graham. 
Um, we want to thank all of you here. We want to thank, and especially uh, the proprietor uh, and the, the folks over at Dog Sports for allowing us to use their Twitter account tonight. We want to thank Mike Griffin for allowing us to post his stuff. Uh, we want to thank all of you out there who are listening and our our faithful, faithful patrons over at the uh, Chapel Bell Curve Discord. If you like what you heard here today, you can check out Chapel Bell Curve, which is our audio-only product. We put all of the Battle Hymnal stuff on there as well. If you really liked it and you want to throw us a little bit of money in it to a good cause, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve, where you can support the Dogs for Pups initiative that's being run by the University of Georgia and uh, join a pretty fun community and chat server that we have going. Um, I am Nathan Lawrence. I'm at Nathan J. Lawrence on Twitter uh, and at Chapel Bell Curve. That is Josh Hancher. He is at dog underscore tats, stats on Twitter. And that is Graham Coffee. He is at dog out west on Twitter. Uh, we will catch you this weekend in, I guess, Atlanta, Athens, and Durango. Uh, but until then, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>